So we are starting out this new year. We made it to 2021. I know maybe there were times this last year we weren't sure, right? And we know that, again, 2020 hasn't been an easy year. Right? There's been lots of different things, but, but no matter what we've experienced, we've also experienced some good things in 2020. It hasn't been all bad, right? But, but most definitely we know that 2020 was not what we expected, right? That our expectations for whatever they were in January of 2020 uh, were definitely skewed, right? It wasn't what we thought we would deal with throughout the year. But, but again, as we start into 2021, right, we also realize and know, right, just realistically, that, that just because the, the number on the calendar changes, it doesn't mean that, that even all the challenges of 2020 are going to go away, right? And, and again, none of us expected to be dealing with a global pandemic, but yet now here we are almost a year later still dealing with it. Right? And, and we know, again, just because the years change, that it doesn't just magically go away, that we still have to deal with it. And, and as we continue to move forward, but now, though, we know a little more of what to expect. Right? And we can you know, make plans and, 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 and know that those plans are held very loosely, right? And knowing that it just with what happens with it all, that whether it's a pandemic or, or anything else that comes that we aren't expecting, right? that, that ultimately, though, we can rest in the fact that God is still God. Right? And that even if, if we didn't see it coming, God did, and, and that he knows. You know? And again, that God does not cause all of the hard or, or bad, evil things in our world, but God absolutely can use anything in our world. Right? And as we start out this new year, um, I, I just felt there would be no better way for us to start this year, especially after the year that we have just experienced, than to start focusing on prayer. And so as we start this series Again, I, I'm just calling us as individuals and as a church family to, to start this year in prayer and diligently in prayer. Um, again, I, I'm thankful for those that, that, that are our prayer warriors that are continuing to lift up those things. And that, again, that we can share our needs together and through our prayer chain and through all those things as a church family. And we need to just continue to do that. But as we look at this next year, again, we have lots of, of hope filled for this next year, for 2021. In fact, this, this last week, our, our, our general director for Church of God Ministries, he published an article, I guess, sent out to uh, that, and, and I got it, read it, I, I pass it on, and emailed it to all of our church staff and board members, and, and again, just the, uh, this article really resonated within my heart, and, and, and I also shared it on my social media, so if, you want, if you're interested, you can find it there and read it yourself, but the, the article was titled, Ripe with Possibilities. And as we look at this this next year, and, uh, and looking at, at all that we are going to have to in, inevitably deal with, right, as the pandemic continues, and just all that ha- is happening in our in our community and in our country and our world, but yet we can look at this next year that, that is truly, I believe, ripe with possibilities. He, in his kind of concluding paragraph, he, he gave this statement, and one that I think is very fitting for us today. He said in his article, he said, let's take back some territory in 2021 that hell has stolen. Let's be bold. Let's get on with it. Because Jesus is the subject and the Holy Spirit is in us and before us. And as we read, again, this, this charge from our general director of Church of God Ministries, I, I again want to echo this charge to all of us and to us as a church family. We have new ground to take in this community for Christ this year. 
And as we look back at 2020, again, we have seen God work in many, many ways. And I am very excited to see what God is going to do in 21. And we will continue this journey of faith within our own hearts and as well as a church family. The Holy Spirit is with us. And we need to continue to tap into that power. And the primary way that we do that is through prayer. Again, as, as I've already mentioned, journey classes, and we have these spiritual growth classes we encourage people to take and to, to take them. In fact, we have those. I encourage you to take them more than once if you want to. You can go back through them, and we've had some that have done that. And, and as, as we think about those classes, again, each one kind of builds on top of each other. And, and you start with class one, and then you go, to, again, to two and on to three. And, and then journey class four, which is my favorite one, by the way. But journey class four is based on spiritual disciplines. And the whole idea of Journey Class 4 is that how do we get to a deeper level and connection with Christ through our daily habits? Right? When our faith is ready to move to that, that mature faith that is not just dependent upon what the pastor says or what the church does, but yet we have that connection with God leading us in ourselves in that intimate connection with him. And so through that class, we look at the different spiritual disciplines that are described in Scripture and how we, we continue to, to further that journey ourselves. And the very first week, we start with the, the foundation of all spiritual disciplines, and that is prayer. Right? Prayer is the foundation of all spiritual disciplines. And now today, when we kick off this new series, as we focus on the Lord's Prayer, we again are looking at, at Jesus's specific instructions on how we should pray right? and, and what, that, what our prayer life should look like and, and what, what are some, some advice and boundaries on ways we should pray and ways that we shouldn't pray and, and what should it be in our lives. Again, as we look at this, this very famous prayer of the Lord's Prayer, it, we find the, the, the most typical version of the Lord's Prayer right in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount. Right? In the Gospel of Matthew, there is this most famous sermon of Jesus, right? and, and it, it encompasses three chapters in Matthew, Matthew 5, 6, and 7. And again, right, literally, right in the middle of the Lord's Prayer is where, or of the Sermon on the Mount is where we find the Lord's Prayer. And it is found in Matthew chapter 6, and so we're going to start there with our text this morning as we look at, at this teaching of prayer in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 6. Um, verses 5 through 13. So if you have your Bible with you, I invite you to open with me to Matthew chapter 6. If you don't have your own Bible and you're here with us in person, you can uh, use one of those Bibles that's provided for you in the seats, and, and you'll notice, again, the page number where you can find this passage in those Bibles. But if you have your own Bible with you, please open up with me. If you're with us online, hopefully you have your Bible close to you, and you can open up. We're going to here look, um, again, right in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount, in Matthew chapter 6, where Jesus teaches specifically about prayer. So this is what he says here in Matthew 6, starting at verse 5. He says, So when you pray, don't be like the hypocrites who love to pray publicly on the street corners and in synagogues where everyone can see them. I tell you the truth, that is all the reward they will ever get. But when you pray, go away by yourself, shut the door behind you, and pray to your Father in private. And then your Father, who sees everything, will reward you. And when you pray, don't babble on and on as people of other religions do. They think their prayers are answered merely by repeating their words again and again. Don't be like them, for your Father knows exactly what you need even before 
you ask him. Pray like this. Our Father in heaven, may your name be kept holy. May your kingdom come soon. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today the food we need and forgive us our sins as we have forgiven those who sin against us. And don't let us yield to temptation, but rescue us from the evil one. So as we stop there, and, and again at this, this very famous verse, and, and again, I, depending on your background, your faith background, or what church you grew up in, or whatever that might be, is you might be very familiar with the Lord's Prayer, right? In, in a lot of uh, Catholic or more liturgical type of background churches and denominations, they literally recite the Lord's Prayer um, often. Right? Now, if that is your background, you're very familiar with it, this, again, is, is a different version than what you have recited. Now, again, there's, this is, again, the NLT version, the, the version that, that is a part of those liturgies, and especially in the Catholic Church and those types of things, is the King James Version, but we're going to look at that here in a little bit, so we're going to come back to that. But, again, I don't know what your background is. Maybe you're very familiar with the Lord's Prayer. Maybe you've, you've never heard it before. Right? Maybe there have been times where you have recited it or, pray, or prayed it word for word or, or even that. But, and again, there's nothing wrong with doing that. But, but the, the point here is that we, we learn what Jesus was teaching us through the Lord's Prayer. But before he, he gives us the Lord's Prayer, in, uh, again, in, in, we see that in verses 9 through 13. But then before that, he gives us some general teaching about prayer in these opening paragraphs of the subject within the Sermon on the Mount. In, in verses 5 through 8, again, he, he makes two comparisons to some very public prayers. And again, he uses these as an example of what the, the original audience of the Sermon on the Mount would have known or, or seen happen in a public places, right, in, in regards to prayer. And, and first off, in the first two verses, verses 5 and 6, right, he, he addresses, um, you know, people who pray publicly on the street corners, and now, again, Jesus, um, I mean, calls them some pretty strong names. I mean, and he addresses this, right? And again, and use them as an example of what not to do. Right? And, and the first thing, again, that Jesus teaches us, uh, again, what prayer isn't, is that prayer isn't about what other people see. They, 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 it, your prayers are not about what, what other people see or even what other people think of you because you pray or how you pray. And, and he says, again, don't just go on the, on, the, on the street corner and to pray loudly and to pray publicly. And, and, and again, ultimately, he's not saying that we shouldn't pray publicly, but what he's more addressing the heart or their motivation of why they are doing those prayers on the street corners. Right? He's, again, he's digging deeper. It's not the prayer themselves, but, but yet their, their motivation for doing it. Right? He's, he's saying, again, it's not about how other people see you or what they think of you because you pray. Right? Prayer's not about that at all. In fact, I mean, Jesus says that if that's why you do it, then that's the only reward you will ever get for doing it. Right? It's somebody looking at you and being like, wow, look at that person. They pray. And that's all the reward, that's the all effectiveness that that prayer will ever have. Right? And so, again, prayer isn't about what other people see, but yet it is, first and foremost, a connection between you and God. It, prayer is supposed to be something that is, again, as he says, you can do it in private. I mean, do it because it's about you and God. It's about you connecting to your creator. Right? It's about a, 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 an open line of communication. We, we 
say and teach, right, that, that Christianity is not a religion, but it is a relationship with our God. And that's very true, but when you, and the, our relationship with God is just like a relationship with anybody else. How do you deepen that relationship? You spend time with them. You communicate with them. Right? You learn about who they are and also about who you are through that relationship. Right? And that's exactly what Jesus is saying that prayer is supposed to be. It's supposed to be a, a connection between you and your God. And that connection happens primarily in private. Because again, Christianity is a very personal thing. Right? We, do we practice it corporately? Do we practice it publicly? Absolutely. There's nothing wrong with public prayer. Right? Again, even already this morning, we've already prayed publicly together as a church family several times. And there's, there's, Jesus is not saying that we shouldn't do that, but he is saying that your motivation for it needs to be right. right? It's not about what other people see or what they think of you because of your prayer life, but it is first and foremost your connection between you and your God. And then he moves into verses 7 and 8, where he makes the second comparison. And, and here he, he makes this comparison of, of these, these public prayers, right, that we see of other religions. And he says that, again, we see that now even in, in their culture, in, in, in Israel, in Jerusalem, I mean, again, the temple itself was supposed to be a house of prayer. I mean, this is, you know, Jesus talks about this in his life. That's when he clears out the temple, right, is when he gets so angry is that people were using it for something other than a house of prayer. Right? He was supposed to be even a place where even the Gentiles could come and to connect to God in prayer. Again, that's what Jesus gets so mad about when he clears out the temple. But again, not just talking about the Jewish religion, but even just other faiths. And he's, he's using them as an example of saying they use their prayers to try and summon their deity. Right? That they have to say these certain words or, or the certain length of time that there's this combination that they must you know, put in to, to, to get to bring their deity to them and to be able to connect. And, and again, Jesus is saying that, that for this is that it's the prayer isn't about fancy words or about a length of time. There's no certain combination that you need to come up with in order to connect with God. And he's saying, it, it, again, it, it doesn't really matter about the words that you use. It doesn't matter about how long you do it. It doesn't matter about how fancy it is. He's saying just the, the, the reality is that it should be genuine. Right? And then as you come together again, that prayer isn't about your fancy words or about the length of time, but prayer is about your attitude that you come to God with. Right? About what, what is, is the, the condition of my heart that I bring to the Lord when I enter into prayer. Right? Knowing that I, I don't have to go through again these fancy words or a certain routine to, to summon God, but that God is already with me. And by me praying, right, I am just acknowledging that God's presence is here. And that I am establishing that, again, that two way communication that is supposed to be found through prayer. And then my attitude comes to, to truly, should be, to deepen that relationship that I have with my God, to spend time with Him. Again, to not just talk to God, but also to hear from God. Right? To learn more about who he is and, and even about who I am through the way that he talks back and things he reveals to me in a time and an attitude of prayer. Right? The prayer is, again, is, is about more about my heart and the way that I come to God than it is about 
any specific words or about a length of time or, or any certain combination. Again, prayer is not a riddle to be solved, but it is a connection personally and relationally to our God. Again, Jesus dives deeper into what effective prayer should look like later in the Sermon on the Mount. Right? He, we see him address it here in chapter 6. And then he dives a little deeper into what this effective prayer should look like as he addresses here what it's not. He, he then dives deeper into it here a little, a little further into the Sermon on the Mount in chapter 7, verses 7 through 11. So if you still have your Bible open, you can flip over just one more chapter. Um, as, again, we're still in the Sermon on the Mount, and this is just another section of it. And, and Jesus dives a little deeper into what effective prayer should look like. Again, Matthew 7, picking up at verse 7. He says, so keep on asking. And you will receive what you ask for. Keep on seeking and you will find. Keep on knocking and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. Everyone who seeks finds. And to everyone who knocks, the door will be opened. You parents, if your children ask for a loaf of bread, do you give them a stone instead? Or if they ask for a fish, do you give them a snake? Of course not. So if you, if you sinful people know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give good gifts to those who ask him? Again, as we see this, this deeper teaching about what effective prayer then now should look like, we, we get, again, the, the tone of what Jesus is saying is that the, the biggest limiting factor to whether your prayer is effective or not is, is actually very simple. It really comes down to whether you do it or not. I said, again, the, the, the key, the linchpin to, to effective prayer is to do it. Keep asking. Keep seeking. Keep knocking. Right? If, if, as you do that, the more you do it, the more you need to do it. Because the more that you seek the Lord, the more you will find. Now, again, as we seek the Lord and, and seek his will and, and hear what he's saying to me, again, is, is prayer truly going to be that two-way conversation? As, as a staff, we, we do different training articles and books and different things that I force our staff to read. And we come, come to our staff meetings and we talk about them and we move through those things and um, the most recent one that we just finished right before Christmas break was we as a staff, we wrote, read this book. Um, it was titled The Garden. And it's a, it's a spiritual fable, and it is, one, it is a great book. In fact, we, we've already in talking in discussions about how we're going to be using it about through a small group or through a journey class or through different things. We're going to be you'll hearing more about this book. But, but, but I, I bring it up because there's this quote out of this book um, on page 100 where it says, prayer changes you more than it changes God. You don't do it because God needs your prayers. You do it because you need God. Again, prayer isn't about us changing God's mind. But it's about us connecting to the heart of who God is and about what his will is. And the reality is the more that you do it, and like I said, the biggest limiting factor, Jesus tells us, is the fact that we don't do it enough. Right? But the more that you do it, the more that you realize prayer is about changing me. Right? And about the control of what I bring to God and will I release that to God and will I hear back from him. And, and even because sometimes the most effective prayers are the ones when God says, no, that's not good for you. 
and us being willing to accept that answer. Right? And, and as, we, as we think about that and realize again this, this teaching of Jesus and saying, will you, will you come humbly before me? Will you connect? Will you have this, this open conversation between you and your creator? Will this deepening relationship that comes with, with consistent communication and, and, and learning about who God is and about who I am and about all of those things, as we dive into this prayer, then what do we practically do? And that's where we end up then at the Lord's Prayer. Right? As Jesus gives us an example to follow. In fact, that's exactly what the Lord's Prayer is. The Lord's Prayer is an example for us to follow on how we should pray. What does our posture look like? What, what should our perspective be when we come to God and, and, and when, as we seek him in prayer and, and to connect him in this relational way? And so, again, that's exactly what the Lord's Prayer is. is it's an example for us to follow. Again, it's not about the exact words, but it instead is about the concepts that each phrase teaches us. Now, there's nothing wrong with reciting the prayer word for word. And like I said, depending on your tradition right, or what your faith background is, you, you likely maybe have recited it word for word many times. Now, again, there's nothing wrong with that as long as you understand what Jesus was teaching about through those words and, and the concepts that he was wanting us to understand. Right? The, the danger of just repeating it over and over and over again is that that's all you do, is you just say the words. Right? And it becomes a box to check or a hoop to jump through, and, and, and it becomes so routine that we don't get the meaning behind the words. Right? Now, with that said, is, is if you have done that, or again, the version that you would have read is the King James Version. Okay? And so it's on your handout. Okay? This is the King James Version. Like I said, the NLT one's a little bit different right? in that translation. This is the King James Version. And again, if, if it is something that, that you've done or you know, you can feel free to say it with me if you want to. Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Right now, as we say this version and, and recite it to us, again, this is what this series is going to be, is we are going to take these phrases, one by one, and dive into what the meaning of them is. What's the lesson that Jesus was teaching us through these phrases? And so we start with the very first phrase, and that is, Our Father in heaven, may your name be kept holy. Again, that is the NLT version, right, as we study that. And again, as you see, again, the biggest difference between NLT and King is that there's the whole last phrase, right, is for thine is the kingdom, power, and glory forever. Amen. That part is not in the NLT version. It actually is in NLT, but it's in a footnote, okay, because again, NLT translates a little different than King James does, and we go back to that original language. But so we're going to start the first part of the phrase, our Father in heaven, Okay, so we see here, we talk about the Father. The word that Jesus used here for Father, okay, is the word Abba. Now, as Jesus uses this phrase, okay, is that this, this term Abba brings a connotation of a close, intimate relationship, right, of our, our Father. 
Now, the, the interesting thing about this phrase, as Jesus uses this phrase, Abba, is that this was not a Greek term. This was an Aramaic term that Jesus uses. Again, Greek was the formal language. It's what all the scripture was written in, primarily. Okay, but Aramaic was the common language of the time. It was the conversational language. It, it, it was, it was lo, lo, way less formal. And in fact, as we see the translation again of this, we see in different places within Scripture that Jesus uses this word, Abba. But the, the reality is that this was not the proper term to use, especially for God. Because it was not a term that showed reverence. In fact, it was just the opposite. It was, it was a term that showed closeness of relationship. I mean, it's, again, it's the term you would use for your earthly father. As, as we see that, this, as Jesus uses this Aramaic term, he uses this term on purpose. And yet, it would have been scandalous to the Jewish tradition to use this word directed towards God. I can't overstate that. It was scandalous. This is where, again, all the religious leaders of the day would have been like, <gasps> You can't do that, Jesus. But that's exactly the term Jesus uses. In fact, we see Jesus use this term more than once. We can, again, fast forward to the Garden of Gethsemane, literally hours before he gets arrested. In Mark 14, 36, Jesus prays. He cries out, Abba, Father, everything is possible for you. Please take this cup of suffering from me. Yet I want your will to be done, not mine. Again, this is one of the most honest, raw prayers we ever see from Jesus. And notice how he addresses his father. He addresses him as Abba. Okay, we see this, this same concept that Jesus is teaching us here play out through the New Testament writings. In Romans 8, 15 and 16, it says, So you have not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Instead, you received God's spirit when he adopted you as his own children. And now we call him Abba Father, for his spirit joins with our spirit to affirm that we are God's children. We also see in Galatians 4, 6, it says, And because we are his children, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, prompting us to call out, Abba, Father. Again, we, we see that he literally uses the word Abba because there is no Greek word for that term. Because it would be scandalous and out of bounds to use that word for a, a God that is higher than us. But yet, that's exactly the word Jesus uses, and I believe he uses it on purpose to teach us that concept, this concept of, of that Jesus, we have that close connection with God through prayer. And then we see the second half of this phrase, and it says, hallowed be thy name. Okay, now, this is the opposite of this. Hallowed be your name literally means to be kept holy, to be revered, to show the highest respect, to, to be put on the throne. He is the king on the throne of all thrones. It, again, it's the, it's the exact opposite of what Abba Father needs. It is a, is a term of respect and a place of honor. We see here at the, at the end of Revelation, it, it, when Jesus again shows up there, and, and as Jesus claims here in verse chapter 22, verse 12 and 13, Jesus says, look, I'm coming soon, bringing my reward with me to repay all people according to their deeds. I am the Alpha, the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Again, Jesus claims the deity of God there, that he is the highest of all highs. 
that everything ends. He is completely sovereign. He's completely in control, that nothing happens without his will and his power. Again, that he wins. That that battle will never be lost because he is the highest of all gods. He's the beginning and the end. Right? And we see, again, now we, we, we get this, this tension that Jesus raises in this phrase, this very first phrase of, of the prayer. Right? Because not only is he our Abba Father, but also he is the king above all kings. It is God's church, and it, is, it exists to honor him. And he is to be revered and respected. And yet we, we see now, again, how this phrase represents a tension that we must balance for ourselves within our faith journey. As Jesus makes this, this dramatic contrast between our, our close, intimate connection with God, our Father, and, and this, this God to be revered who is over all. And therefore, we need to live out this tension within our own lives. How can God be both? But yet, he is. Jesus is teaching us in this phrase that that God is all-powerful, that he has all authority, that he is perfect and he is holy and he is just. But God is also full of love and full of grace and full of mercy. And this is a tension that we must balance within our lives and within our faith. You see here on, on your outline, we have this, this, ver- this passage out of Ezekiel. You know, I want to flip to it because I believe this passage, again, represents this tension better than I can explain it. It's Ezekiel chapter 36, starting at verse 23. It says, so I will show how holy my great name is the name on which you brought shame among the nations. And when I reveal my holiness through you before their very eyes, says the sovereign Lord, then the nations will know that I am the Lord. For I will gather you up from all the nations and bring you home again to your land. And then I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean and your filth will be washed away and you will no longer worship idols and I will give you a new heart and I will put a new spirit in you. I will take out your stony, stubborn heart and give you a tender, responsive heart. And I will put my spirit in you so that you will follow my decrees and be careful to obey my regulations. And you will live in Israel, the land I gave your ancestors long ago. And you will be my people and I will be your God. And I will cleanse you of your filthy behavior. I will give you good crops of grain and I will send no more famines on the land. I will give you great harvest from your fruit trees and fields and never again will the surrounding nations be able to scoff at your land for its famines. And then you will remember your past sins and despise yourselves for all the, de- uh, the detestable things you did. But remember, says the sovereign Lord, I am not doing this because you deserve it. Oh, my people of Israel, you should be utterly ashamed of all you have done. And this is what the sovereign Lord says, when I cleanse you from your sins, I will repopulate your cities and the ruins will be rebuilt. Again, this is prophetic words spoken to Israel of, of after they have been in famine and in exile and in deep you know, punishment from God for, for how sinful they are and how far they were from God. 
But notice we also see the tension in this, right? And God says, but I will, I'll bring you back. I'm going to remove your heart and, and cleanse you and, and do all this, but I'm not doing it because you deserve it, right? This is, again, an Old Testament prophetic passage that is dripping with grace and love. And we see, again, this, this prophecy given thousands of years before Jesus. We know that, again, this, this tension of who God is, of he's a sovereign God full of wrath, and he's also loving and grace-filled. And, and this is a tension of just who God is. And this is what, again, Jesus, through the, through the Sermon on the Mount, is trying to get us to understand. He's saying that is the tension you must live in your life and in your faith. And, and you deal with it by coming to God with both perspectives. That is he the king of all kings? Absolutely. Does he deserve all praise and reverence and, and glory? That he, absolutely. But he is also a loving father. Abba. The main way we manage this tension is to pray. To live out a close and personal relationship with our Abba Father by spending time with him. Not just bringing a list of needs and wants, but also time in praise and in thanks and adoration of who he is because he is the Alpha and the Omega and he is also the grace-filled Savior. And we need to be people of prayer. And especially as we come into 2021, and as we seek him with our own hearts about what God wants to do in our lives this next year and what God wants to do in our, in our church this next year, we need to come with this tension at the forefront of our minds. That he is the all-powerful God. He can do more than I can ever think or imagine. Right? And he's also the most loving father. Because the reality is that we have big things to pray about within our own hearts and, and as a church. Right, as we head into 2021, we, we already see and know right, that just because the number on the calendar changes, the pandemic's not going away. Again, it was unexpected in 2020, but now we have a little more clear vision of what we can expect in 2021 right, when it comes to that. We need to be praying about the pandemic effects and about how we figure out, even as the church, how do we live among it, right? Because we can't just cancel everything and just wait for it to go away because the reality is, I think we already see that. It's not going to go away. It's, we're coming up on a year, right? How do we live life among it? How do we do ministry among it? And one of the things that, that I, I need to call us as a church for prayer for is, is about our online ministry and about, again, those that are joining with us online. I'm so glad that you're here. Right, but again, we've seen God already use that and expand it. And, and again, how can we do that better in 2021? How can we encourage those that are choosing to stay away and to watch? How can they maybe have a few people that have watch parties in their house? Right, how can we step up our game and our digital greeters and, and truly creating more community online you know, than, than just having them watch service? Be in prayer about that. I think that's something we need to do as a church. We need to continue to, to seek how we as a church can, can affect this community in Christ's name, whether it's through the Middleton Food Pantry or 
hospital chaplains or, or other, you know, FCA and Launchpad and all these other ministries within our community that, that we can help God's team accomplish. Be in prayer about that. Also be in prayer that, that this next year we as a church are stepping out in faith and, and with a whole new venture. Okay, and our board has already approved funding and it's money there in the bank that we are going to step into Spanish-specific ministry this next year in our community. And we are, as a church, we are committed to, to hiring an associate pastor that is bilingual. And it is going to start doing services in Spanish. So we need to be praying for God to raise up the right person, to raise up the right team, and, and the right timing on, on all of those details that we're now going to work through as we step out in faith as a church and say this is a place that God's calling our church to minister to in our community. We have lots to pray for, church. Right, but yet, I believe that 2021 is ripe with possibilities. And that if we truly seek the Lord's face through prayer, right, that he will do immeasurably more than we can ever imagine. Which leads me to my final thought this morning, and that is this. It comes from Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 and 16. It says, when I think of all this, I fall to my knees and I pray to the Father the creator of everything in heaven and on earth. And I pray that from his glorious, unlimited resources, he will empower you with inner strength through his spirit. Again, I don't know where your faith journey is at today. I don't know, you know what you're looking forward to in 2020, but I, I do know that God is, is in the center of what needs to happen in your life. And if God isn't at the center of your life, if you're not seeking him every day, then you need to open your life to him. If you've never received him as your savior, you never even joined the journey of faith, then I hope that you will do that today through prayer and accept him. But will we, again, as a church, especially those that have received Christ as our savior, will we actually do it? Will we seek the Lord in prayer? And as we dive deeper into the, the Lord's prayer, I, I, I call us as a church to be a church of prayer. Lord God, we praise you today that there is none like you. God, that you are the God of all creation, the sovereign Lord, the top of the authority, the king of all kings, but yet you are also our Abba Father. And Lord, I pray that as we go this week, Lord, that we would truly seek your face. And God, that you would show each one of us, God, what we need to do in our own faith, God, to move forward in, in, our, in our journey, to be more like you. But God, also that you would continue to move God, unleash your power, not just in our hearts, but also in our church, in our community, and in our world, Lord. God, that as a body of believers, we would rise to everything you need us to do. God, to represent you well. And God, as we go this week, I pray, Lord, that we would continue, God, to seek your face. God, to, to genuinely pray. And God, we come into this year, God, with expectant hearts and minds hoping to see you move. Lord, to see you do miracles, to move mountains. God, in our own hearts and in our church and in our community and in our world. God, we praise you today that there is none like you, that you are the Alpha and the Omega, as well as our Alpha Father. Guide us as we go in Jesus' name. Amen.